0: Hubhopper originals.
1: To start your podcast for free, log on to studio.hubhopper.com.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Being Miraculous, a podcast by Shweta Shivraman. For those of you tuning in for the very first time, Being Miraculous is a podcast to inspire to live life to its fullest through my journey of self-discovery. Miraculous is a derivative of the Greek word Miraki, which means to do an act with complete willingness, undivided attention and wholehearted devotion. This podcast is a reminder of how we're not alone in this journey and on the simple things we can do to make this life a memorable and a beautiful experience. If you recollect In the very first episode, I had set out the vision to bring in real people to this podcast. Those who do great work in their field and live life to their fullest or do their best to uplift lives all around them. Today is the first such episode where I am not going to be doing all the talking. We are excited to have someone very special join us on the podcast today and also to celebrate the launch of having our very first guest in the Being Miraculous podcast we have something special for our listeners so remember to tune in until the very end of the episode but first join me in welcoming Priyanka Varma to the Being Miraculous podcast. Hey Shweta, happy to be here. Hi Priyanka. Priyanka is a clinical psychologist counselor and psychotherapist. Having trained in London and Mumbai She currently consults at Holy Family Hospital and Global Hospitals and has also founded The Thought Co. Her area of research has been addictive behaviours and she is also actively involved in setting up support groups for dementia carers. Welcome to the show Priyanka,
1: we are super glad to have you. Tell us, what led you to start The Thought Co? Well, The Thought Co was sprung out of the need for awareness of mental health. Mental health care is important and can be an enjoyable process. The Thorko tries to bring it to light uh, in creative ways where one can take care of themselves without being burdened by the stigma and the fear of what will people say. That
0: sounds intriguing, today we are going to discuss together a topic that I feel plagues a lot of us in our late twenties and early thirties. We are going to talk about the Anxious High Achiever, we've all been there, where our ambition has taken over the best of us where we drive ourselves to the bone setting tall expectations from ourselves and we don't give ourselves any credit for how far we've come along and instead end up critiquing ourselves for every slip. Priyanka who has worked with several high driven individuals herself is going to share with us the anxiety and the stress such individuals go through and how we can deal with them on an ongoing basis. So let us probably begin with defining who we are speaking of when we say high achievers who are young adults.
1: Well, young adults, as Eric Erickson identified them, are those between the ages of 19 to 39. What's characteristic of this age is that individuals who work towards pursuing love, intimacy, compassion and sex. In this group, one goes through, or rather society expects them to go through a lot of defining changes, such as find a partner, get a job, get married and have children. Well Priyanka that's a tall order can you even blame them for it? Well honestly I can't and I feel this is because of the social normative structure that has set these expectations. It is what society expects us to do and failure to do so is viewed as unacceptable. The pressure to not be a part of the unacceptable is what drives most of us constantly to seek more, do more, be more. Only if more is achieved we believe we will be happy. However More also ensures that the goalpost is constantly moving ahead. Viewing happiness to this lens almost always guarantees it will never be achieved. (laughs) And above all, sets the tone of anxiety and crippling thoughts of, I'm not good enough, I'm useless, I'm worthless.
0: Your words constantly seeking more, do more and be more stuck a chord with me and I'm sure it did with a lot of listeners as well. We are constantly plagued by the thought that we are not doing enough. So, what are the first telltale signs or symptoms of such high achievers? Well, a high achiever is someone who
1: is intelligent, motivated, impatient, has an overloaded agenda, constantly thinking about their next big move, aspirational, constantly setting their goalposts, then achieving their goals and resetting them again. <laughs> They believe they have to do this alone. Their inability to do it alone suggests for them that they are a failure. I really want to hide my to-do list now. Well Shweta, what's important to understand is that high achievers is that they know how to leverage their intelligence and competitors to win. True. This winning isn't recent. Their early years have conditioned them to win, be the best and work towards it. For them, being the best is the only option. This often makes them impatient with others and themselves. They need to have achieved that goal yesterday. They are never satisfied with where they are or what they achieved. They are hungry for feedback. And more importantly, they want positive feedback.
0: But honestly, why is that wrong? If I can take the liberty to generalize, a lot of us like being driven and ambitious.
1: And how else can we work towards our goals? Well, it's not wrong to want things and have goals. But there is a flip side to being constantly driven. When everything's going fine, things are going great for them. But let's be honest, Vedha. Everything does not always go quite to plan, right? True. When high achievers hit a blip, they feel overloaded and struggle to process it. Rather than saying, "Well, I just can't do or do this or deal with this or I need help," they impulsively react and start to say very, very negative things about themselves to themselves their environment and their future, they really create a kind of catastrophic picture. Agreed. Is that what you have observed in your therapy sessions with high achievers as well? Well what I have observed and what I think is key to understanding high achievers is that these individuals begin to realize they can't do everything by themselves or they can't do everything on their agenda and balancing things out is very difficult. Right. Right. What happens is that they start to experience this ongoing guilt because of it. No matter what they are doing, they feel like they should be doing something else. This leads to feelings of not being good enough. This often makes them fearful of judgement and failure. This fear is a crippling emotion as it makes it very difficult to concentrate and even try things. For them, everything has to be perfect or else they will fail. This notion of ongoing guilt becomes chronic, becomes a way of life. This can in some ways cause paralysis or it can cause some anger. That is absolutely true. Ongoing guilt eventually becomes a way of
0: life. And also for achievers who've been at it since a very young age, there is little recollection of how else life could be. But what are the consequences or the ramifications of, you know, constantly being under such anxiety and stress in the long run?
1: There are so many. Uh, but I think for the sake of your listeners, let's just broadly classify them into five. Okay. Uh, the first one, which I think is very crucial, is disturbed sleep. And sometimes it can lead to insomnia. This is the basis of any good mental health. Continued disturbed sleep leads to a drop in productivity, clarity of thought and insomnia. Insomnia is when there is a lack of sleep because they are highly triggered and constantly working on things. This is where the Monday blues come from? Yes, this definitely contributes to it. In addition to sleep, it can lead to poor physical health, cognition and immunity. Now, to explain cognition better, it is about having difficulty with focusing, concentration, memory and learning new information. With immunity, illnesses like cough and cold are commonly noted. In addition, some complain of frequent body aches like headache and stomach ache. They may even frequently sigh, experience acidity, vomiting, belch a lot and urinate frequently. Constipation or loose motions are also commonly noted. Common illnesses caused by anxiety are diabetes and PCOS. It can even fuel addictive behaviors with alcohol, marijuana, and harder substances. In fact, research says people with anxiety disorder are two to three times more likely to have a substance use disorder than people in the general population. Being a coffee
0: lover myself, I can tell you acidity is no fun, but that is a staggering statistic.
1: Whether that's absolutely alarming, but what triggers these symptoms is deep-rooted and has implications on all aspects in life. It could lead to ongoing guilt. In fact, high achievers have a tendency to want to succeed in everything they take up. So they overload their lives with different agendas and different roles. After a while, the lack of realistic boundaries starts wreaking havoc in their lives. When they begin to realize that they can't do everything that's on their agenda, they start to experience ongoing guilt. No matter what they are doing, they feel like they should be doing something else or something more. That does not sound very comfortable. If I were going through something like that, I am sure to be irritated and frustrated throughout. That is true in most cases. Since high achievers do not like to admit to others that things are not going well, they tend to ignore and avoid their negative feelings, to the point that they start to seep into every interaction They grow even more impatient with themselves and others and are trying to find external justification for why things are not working out. Sometimes it could be a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persists despite evident success. People who think they are imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraudulence that overrides any feeling of success or external proof of their competence. These symptoms remain hidden as they continue to perform well at work and at home. Oh my, that
0: is definitely one long list. I can totally relate to what you just said about the symptoms remaining hidden. It's always easy to keep going like nothing's wrong. However, one burnout or one incident in the wrong direction can throw us completely off track from our path. So what then would be your suggestion on how young adults can cope in such situations? Considering that stress and anxiety are
1: gonna go nowhere. When any client comes to me, my first three pillars of mental health are your appetite, exercise, and sleep. This should always be a part of your routine in adequate amounts. Any disruption in this is an indicator of disturbed mental health, and restoring it to the equilibrium sets the basis to cope with difficult situations. That is
0: quite a tall expectation, especially amidst busy schedules that most of us face on a regular
1: basis. Well, that is important because it impacts productivity. For appetite, one must ensure they get three solid meals, two snacks to the day. A well-fed stomach leads to one being able to focus and process things better. One needs to get seven hours of sleep and in turn allows our mind to relax, disengage from the stressors and approaches them with fresh eyes. Practicing some sleep hygiene is beneficial for those struggling with sleep such as a warm shower before you go to bed, no screen time, at least an hour before you go to bed, read a hardcover book on a chair next to your bed. Remember, the bed is only meant for two things, having sex and sleeping. <laughs> Let's not condition that space for anything else, especially not Netflix.
0: Alright, so if I want to summarize correctly, exercise, diet and sleep in equal measure is a recipe to better mental health? Definitely.
1: I want to take a moment and focus a bit more on exercise. Sure. Uh, Exercise is crucial and I must be engaged for at least 20-40 to minutes every day. This is different from your activities of daily living. Why focus exercise? Because this allows yourself to mentally disengage from the stresses of life and just focus on one thing in the moment. Mental disengagement is important because it allows us to step away from the situation and return to it with fresh eyes. Furthermore, the chemicals released while exercising, helps for clarity of thought. Well, while this
0: sounds more preventive a measure, what can an individual do when faced with severe anxiety?
1: I want to focus on three go-to strategies that help with anxiety. The first, judgment. We judge ourselves with a lot of negative self-talk. Catch yourself indulging in it. Remember, you are more than your anxiety. Try focusing on what you are doing right for yourself. Mindfulness, ground yourself in the present. You can do this by either box feeding or a simple 5-4-3-2-1 strategy where we engage our senses in the present. To further explain, I use a very simplified version with my clients. Identify one thing you can see in the room, one thing you can smell, one thing you can touch and one thing you can taste and one thing you can hear. This helps ground you to the present. Disengage in two things. Characteristic thinking of anxiety is worrying about the future. Ask yourself two questions. Can I do something about it? If the answer is yes, identify what you can do about it and then do it. If the answer is no, I cannot do anything about it. Disengage from the thoughts by getting up and going and doing something. I think the strategies are pretty
0: straightforward. Be kinder to yourself, practice mindfulness, and act more and think less. While they're some easier said than done, I think these three tips are practical for us to follow. But anxiety and stress are not one-off cases. They come and go like waves, sometimes more tumultuous than high tides. So what is your suggestion for listeners to avoid getting caught up in this vicious cycle in the future?
1: First, you have to take a hard look at yourself and identify the forces that escalate your anxiety and cause you to turn to unproductive behaviors for relief. Then, you must adopt counterintuitive practices that give you the courage to step out of your comfort zone. This one happen overnight. It requires acknowledging vulnerability, something that driven professionals don't like to do, and that mm-hmm. runs counter to their obsession with managing their image at all costs. That is very true. So can you give us practical tips that we could follow on an ongoing basis to manage anxiety? Of course. The first one, which I think is the most important one, is effective planning. Create smart goals that are reflective of short-term goals, zero to six months, Medium goals 6 months to 18 months and long-term goals 18 months and longer with no more than 3 to 4 bullet points under each one of those time frames. Remember, unless we create a specific agenda that becomes dynamic and part of the change process, achieving your goal in a very healthy way will be difficult. Second, fact versus fiction. What makes an experience awful has some truth to it and a lot of subjective interpretation as well. Absolutely. To ensure that you are not limiting your vision to failures, it's always good to write down all the thoughts that you are thinking of at that moment and once you are done, only underline the sentences that are facts and not interpretations or opinions. You will realize a lot of the self-doubt is not founded in factual details but our interpretation of them. Third, which I think is very crucial, is practice vulnerability. Deliberately putting yourself in these situations where you literally know nothing, learning to admit that I don't know will help ease the pressure and also invite the right guidance from those who do know. It also shows us that you are willing to learn and grow more every day. Most likely your colleagues and acquaintances are also high achievers who hold back from sharing their concerns. When you take this bold step of being vulnerable, you send a powerful message to those around you that invites them to do the same. That is a very interesting thought. Now Shwata, for my favorite and most effective one is facing your fears. Right. Fears are real and we must face them. No running away from them or ruminating over them. If only we could do that. Well, actually you can. <laughs> and for this, I use Tim Ferriss' method of fear setting, where you identify your fear, list out all the things that you can go wrong with them, then all the things you can do if they go wrong, and all the ways you can prevent it from happening. Whenever your mind wanders to the worst case, reassure yourself that you have a plan for it. Now Shweta, while these are all good suggestions, and they are effective. Um, what really helps the long run is regular check-ins with yourself. Agreed. Spend more time in self-reflection, if you can, every day, or once every week. Right. It is important to assess how you feel, what you need, and how are you getting to get the support? Uh, remember, you do not have to go through this alone. You can reach out to friends, family members and support groups to help you through this process. You almost make that sound easy. But it is very simple. Um, for example, at the ThoughtCo, we have designed these do-it-yourself kits about self-care for our clients. And what we realize is that clients who use them are able to confront similar situations. You know Shweta, this conversation reminds me of a research I read that backs up this idea that we may not fully appreciate what we have when we are expecting more or comparing what we have to what we could have. The study found that participants who were exposed to subtle reminders of wealth spent less time savouring a chocolate bar and exhibited less enjoyment of the experience than other subjects who weren't reminded of wealth. (laughs) This is an interesting study that can remind us all to savour our lives more and perhaps try not to remind ourselves of what we don't have. Well, that is a wonderful thought. Life can
0: be so much better if we focus on what we had instead of the things we don't. Honestly, I was impressed when I saw your thought kits for the very first time as well. And I think it helps individuals like me who like working on themselves in their own privacy and space. Self care for me is quite personal, and I'm sure it is for a lot of you listeners as well. And one of those kits could be yours today. The Thought Go is offering three such anxiety self care kits to being miraculous listeners. To earn the giveaway, all you need to do is mention one self care tip that works for you always when you go through anxiety attacks on Instagram. Do not forget to tag at Being Miraculous and at the thought go so that we receive your entry. Well, that's it from our side. Thank you Priyanka for being a part of the show and enlightening us on the simple things we can do when faced with stress or anxiety. I'm sure my listeners and myself included are a little bit more equipped to deal with such situations going forward.
1: Thanks for having me Shweta and I hope that we have helped people find useful tools to help them cope with life.
0: If you have, do remember to share that with us.
1: Thank you for tuning in
0: to the episode. You know what I always say. If you like what you're listening to, like, share, subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and interact with more like-minded souls driven to lead a fulfilling life. This is Shweta Shivraman, Priyanka signing out, hoping you have a brilliant week.